Welcome to the National Native Network podcast series. Today we're presenting our webinar archive, the Circle of Life Curriculum, Module 5, End of Life. To view the webinar video and additional resources, please visit our website, keepitsacred.org, and click the Resources tab and the Webinar Archive tab. Please enjoy our presentation. Good afternoon and good morning. My name is Joshua Hudson. I am the project director for the National Native Network and I work at the Intertribal Council of Michigan. Thank you for joining us today for module five, Nearing the End of Life. It's being presented today by Alberta Basenti, who is a public health advisor. So before we get fully started, I know that a few people are joining right now, um, but I will start some polling. So the first polling question is up, asking what's your gender? I'll leave it open for another five more seconds. Okay, I'm sharing the results. 100% of our audience or 100% of our respondents uh, identify as female today. What time zone are you joining from? I'll leave it open for another four or five more seconds. Okay. 54% of our respondents are dialing in from the mountain time zone today. Uh, the third initial polling question, do you believe that cancer is an issue in your community? And I'll leave that open for another five more seconds. One hundred percent of our respondents believe that cancer is an issue in their communities. And last but not least, if you're a CHR or a health educator, how long have you been doing this work? If you're not a CHR or a health educator, um, there's no need for you to respond. I'll leave this open for five more seconds. Okay, wow, we're tied 32%. Uh, have identified one to four years and 15 plus years. So quite a span. So I will hand it over to Alberta now. So I'm going to make you the presenter now, Alberta.
Okay, I think it's um, good afternoon, everybody. Um, thank you for joining us for Module 5 webinar. Today, we're going to talk about a very sensitive topic, which is nearing the end of life. I hope everybody's doing well, and we'll go ahead and go get started. Um, just checking back with Josh, do you see the um, screen on the slide on your screen? Yep, I see the screen, and it looks great. Awesome. Great, thank you. Wellness in our community. So it's great to go, um, according to the poll, there is 32% of um, those who have, um, who actually um, put in more than 15 years, and then there's those who are putting in one to four years. And then we also have a good representation of both the CHR and then also the health educators. And then also welcome to folks from the other disciplines. Um, today we're talking about a very important topic. And for those who have um, joined us on a uh, previous session, um, that's wonderful. If this is your first session, um, welcome. What is the Circle of Life? <clears throat> the Circle of Life initiative was developed through a partnership between American Indian and Alaska Native tribes and the American Cancer Society. It is information that tribal communities can use to teach people about healthy habits, cancer prevention, treatment, and caregiver support. The purpose of the Circle of Life initiative is to reduce cancer morbidity and mortality for improving well-being and Native populations. So today we're going to discuss how do healthcare providers assess advanced cancer? What is the legal issue that should be addressed at the end of life? And we're going to talk about how are someone's healthcare wishes honored legally? And then lastly, what is the grieving process? How much cancer, um, <clears throat> how much cancer is present? Well, there are some of these questions that healthcare providers consider when diagnosing advanced cancer. So one of them is how much cancer is present. It's important to know that different health professionals may not mean the exact same thing when they use the term advanced cancer. Usually when they speak advanced cancers, they are talking about cancers that cannot be cured. This means that these cancers will not go away and stay away completely with treatment. If a cancer can't be cured, it will grow and spread over time. This is likely to end a person's life. Advanced cancers have usually spread from where they started to other parts of the body. This is known as metastatic cancer. But not all advanced cancers have spread from where they started. For example, some cancers that start in the brain may be considered advanced because they cannot be cured. They are life-threatening even though they have not spread to other parts of the body. It is also important to know that certain cancers that are widespread in the body might still be curable. Example of this is testicular cancer, certain types of leukemias, and many lymphomas. These would not necessarily be considered advanced cancer. Advanced cancers can also be treated over though they can't be cured. Certain cancer treatments can sometimes 
slow cancer growth or prolong life. When the cancer treatment stops working, a person is still treated to release symptoms or make them more comfortable. Some people do not want aggressive, uh, aggressive cancer treatment. It is important to respect and honor people's choices. How a person will be treated for a serious illness is a very personal issue, and a person should make the choices that are best for them. Some people may want to get treatment as long as there's even a small chance that it may help. When it comes clear that there is nothing else that can be done that might cure the cancer, the cancer care, the cancer care team can begin to offer information about end of life. If the cancer team doesn't do this, the person with cancer should ask about it. Some people can live many years with advanced cancer. Keep in mind that any prediction is only an educated gift. It is best to start thinking about and making decisions ahead of time about how a person wants to spend the end of life. That way, a person has time and energy to make plans and talk to loved ones about what they want. It is good to talk about it even though the end of life may be far away. No, no one can ever know for sure how long a person will live. Events directive. An events directive is a way that a person can make healthcare decisions ahead of time in case they become unable to speak or voice their own decisions for themselves. A living will is a legal document designed to control future healthcare decisions. A person can write it ahead of time, but it also takes effect only when a person cannot speak for themselves or become unable to make decisions and choices on their own. A healthcare power of attorney is a legal document in which a person chooses someone and substitute or agent to represent them and make all healthcare decisions if a person becomes unable to do so. This agent can then speak with healthcare providers and other caregivers and make decisions for that person according to the person's prior stated wishes. Just um, <clears throat> a note is that healthcare power of attorney can't be used to control money or property. It is not the same as a durable power of attorney. The third one is a letter of instruction, which is not a legal document. It can be a useful guide for family to help them make decisions for a loved one at the end of life and after. In the letter, the person can name who they want to look after their children or pets. And then the fourth one is the five wishes. A five wishes document is recognized in 42 states as of the year 2015 and is legally equivalent to an advanced directive or living will. Even in states where it's not recognized, it can still help people make decisions for that person. And the last one is do not resuscitate, or also known as DNR. 
It is orders state that someone does not want the hospital staff to try to revive them if they if their heart or breathing stops. If someone is in the hospital, they can ask their healthcare providers to add a do not resuscitate do not resuscitate or DNR order to their medical records. If they go home and go back to the hospital later, they might have to ask for it again. As you can see that these five types of advanced directives do different things and are useful in different situations, such as DNR order is a short-term directive that only applies when a person is in the hospital, whereas the living will is usually good for years, although some states automatically expire them after a certain number of years. The healthcare provider of attorney is also a long-lasting directive. Find out where to get forms for advanced directives from your cancer team. Some can be found online. A person may want to have their cancer team look at anything that they find online and to make sure that it uh, meets requirements. This is just an activity that's um, <clears throat> And that um, you'll be able to download and then um, and think about. Things to think about is it's important that the person be sure that people around them know what they want as they near the end of life. Even people who are healthy might want to talk about these things in case something unexpected happens. A person near the end of life should talk to family and loved ones about their wishes. If there are family members who don't feel sure about what a person wants, it can cause problems with being sure that the person's wishes are followed. A person should tell them closest to them about written advance directives. If loved ones don't know about them or they can't find them, they cannot follow them. Many people give copies to them, to family members and to their care team to ensure that they can be found quickly. So, um, in as you see, um, whom do you want to make decisions for you when you are no longer able to? And what kind of life-saving measures do you want to have? As you reach the end of your life, do you want to die at home? Or would you like hospice care? After you die, are you willing or unwilling to donate your organs or tissues to others who need it? So these are just things that you may want to think about and share with um, others. Steps toward um, writing a will. A will is a very different from the living will that we discussed earlier. A will is a legal document that directs what to do with the belongings after death. A living will is only for medical decisions at a time a person can't voice their own decision. You want to decide on an executor. Ex executor. This is a person or persons who will manage the estate, the property, after the person's death. After a person dies, his or her possessions or property are called their estate. Identifying an executor is even more important if their assets, or belongings, are valuable or if they have a lot of property. The executor should be someone who is honest and trustworthy. A person does not have to need to finalize who will be the executor but should be at least named two or three potential executors. <clears throat> Choose a guardian. If a person has children below age 18, they should appoint someone as a guardian. 
Usually their spouse will be the guardian <clears throat> if one parent passes away. But if both parents die together or the spouse passes away first, someone should be named as a guardian. Guardians are most often relatives or friends who love and have a relationship with the children. Then they identify uh, their beneficiaries. These are people who benefit from a person's assets. Usually beneficiaries are family members, relatives, friends, or charity groups. If a person chooses to leave everything to a spouse or one person, then they should name substitute beneficiaries in case the one person is no longer living. List assets. Create a list of assets including property, bank accounts, shares or stocks, vehicles, jewelry, and anything of value. And who gets what? This is where a person decides who will receive their assets. If they tend to give a certain asset to more than one person, it's important to use a percentage rather than a fixed dollar value. Updating a will. Someone may need to update their will for a number of reasons. Frequent reasons for reviewing and updating a will will include changes in the family. For example, a baby is born, a child becomes 18, or perhaps, perhaps some significant older age, older age or there is a death, marriage, as indicate, um, marriage automatically nullifies a previous will. A new will should be prepared upon marrying, uh, after marriage. Divorce, a divorce does not invalidate a previous will. A former spouse will not be a beneficiary or receive a gift or be an executor unless it is clearly stated that in the case of divorce, they should be the executor or still receive benefits. Separation <clears throat> does not have any effect on a will, so it is best to review and update the will shortly after the separation. And then there's changes in financial um, circumstances. A person's will should be updated if they acquire assets, which they would like to leave to certain people. It should be updated if the value or size of their assets become too small to provide the amount of money or property listed in their will. And then there's also changes in taxes. Changes in the tax rates, new taxes or reliefs may prompt a review of someone's will if their estate is large enough to be taxed. Going to live in another country is also, if a person is planning to live in another country, their will should be made in that country in order to make it simpler to manage the estate. After a long, after a last will and testament is completed, the original must be safely stored. It can be in a file or fireproof lockbox at home, or it can be found by a trusted person. Again, this is a very different from an advanced directive, which should be handy at a moment's notice. There are also often signs that someone is nearing the end of their journey. All of these changes may not happen, but it may be comforting to know about them. If a person is in hospice, a hospice nurse or hospice social worker will help the family identify that end of the journey may be near. A healthcare provider or hospice staff member can also let the family know what to expect. Talk with them often about what's happening and what to look for next. 
A person with cancer, their family and healthcare provider decide when hospice care should begin. Many professionals in the field notice that many people are referred to hospice within days of death. There is much that a hospice program can do to help a person's quality of life. It can help a lot more if they have at least a few work, uh, weeks to work on it. Hospice care gives a person and their loved ones help from experts at the end of life. The goal of hospice care is to help someone live their last days as alert and pain-free as possible. Hospice care aims to control symptoms so that a person's last days may be spent with dignity, dignity and quality, surrounded by their loved ones. Hospice affirms life and neither hastens nor postpones death. Hospice care looks at the person rather than disease. It focuses on quality rather than the length of life. It provides family-centered care. The person with cancer and their family take part in all the decisions. This care is planned to cover 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Most hospice care in the United States is given in the home with a family member or friend serving as the main caregiver. If a person wants home hospice care, a caregiver must be in the home within 24 hours a day. If a person gets better or disease goes into remission, they can be discharged from the hospice program and return to active cancer treatment if they wish. Hospice care can be resumed at a later time if needed. Making the choice to get hospice care should not be viewed as a last resort. The benefits that a person and their family can get from hospice care are needed at this time when things seem uncertain and difficult. Through hospice care, a person will get help to put their affairs in order, say their goodbyes, and spiritually prepared for death in a way that promotes dignity and comfort. The family will be helped as they go through the dying process and grief and bereavement. When the end of someone's journey is near, people often use this time to gather the family to say goodbye. They may take turns with their loved ones, holding hands, talking to them, or just sitting quietly. It is important to have a plan at this time. What does a family do when their loved one dies? What should they expect? Who should they call? What cultural ceremonies are important to honor? Be sure that family and friends are ready and know exactly whom to call so that they don't dial 911 in confusion or panic. If someone calls 911 or emergency medical services, even after an, ex an expected death at home, the law often requires that EMS try to revive the person or take them to a hospital. This can result in a person's wishes not being respected. It can also prolong death, delay funeral plans, and cause other complications. Grieving is an entire emotional process of coping with loss. The length and intensity of the emotions people go through will be different from person to person. Grieving is also different depending on the relationship of the loved ones had with the person. For example, it is different when a person loses someone who is part of a person's daily life 
than it was someone who is present less often. It can be very different if a person had a difficult relationship or was estranged from a family member. Many things affect a person's emotion during grief. Normal grief usually includes shock, numbness, and disbelief, especially at first. Anger, loneliness, sadness, and other intense emotions that come in waves. Slowly learning to live without the loved one over time through grief may resurface for many years. If someone has <clears throat> one or more of these, it might be a sign of serious um, depression. Constant thoughts of being worthless or hopeless. If a person becomes focused on their own death or wanting to hurt themselves. Starts believing things that are not true or seeing things that aren't there except for brief visions in which a person sees or shares the person they lost. Profound guilt over things they did or didn't do at the time of the love, uh, loved one's death and can't carry out the normal daily activities. If these signs describe you or a family member, talk to a healthcare provider, social worker, or a traditional healer. When a person loses someone important to them, they go through a normal process um, called grieving. Bereavement is what a person goes through when a, someone close to them dies. It is a state of having suffered a loss. So grieving is natural and should be expected. Over time, grieving can allow that person to accept and understand their loss. Grieving involves um, feeling many different emotions over time. I'm gonna share some definitions with you. Um, bereavement is what a person goes through when a, someone close to them dies in a state of having suffered a loss. Mourning is the outward expression of loss and grief. Mourning includes rituals and other actions that are specific to each person's culture, personality, and religion. Bereavement and mourning are both part of the grieving process. Grief is a process many people think of grief as a single instant or short period of pain or sadness in response to a loss, like the tears shed at a loved one's funeral. But grieving is the entire emotional process of coping with a loss and can last a long time. Normal grieving allows us to get a loved one going, <clears throat> go and keep on living in a healthy way. Grieving is painful, but it's important that those who have suffered a loss be allowed to express their grief and that they um, be supported throughout the process. Each person will grieve for a loved one in a different way. The length and intensity of the emotions people go through will also vary from person to person. I encourage people who are terminal, terminal with cancer to tell their family about it, to tell your children, to tell your aunties, your sisters, your mom and dad, whomever. Give your family an opportunity to come and help if, you, if they can. Sometimes they have strange reactions to that kind of information, but just tell them. That's from C.C. White Wolf, from Comforted Tribes of Tela, who is a breast cancer survivor. 
This can be hard to talk about with people. It is important to do it so that people can make peace with what is happening, especially children. It is especially important to tell the children in a person's life about any serious illness and talk about a person's death. Whether they say it or not, children often think that they did something that caused the cancer or that they caused the death. It is important to remind them that nothing they did, said, or thought could have made the cancer grow. If it is a parent or guardian who is ill, the child will need to know who what will happen to him or her after the person dies. Who will love and take care of them and where they will live? A person, a child needs to know those answers to these questions before the person reaches the end of life. Even very small children know when something is wrong and should be given honest information based on what they can understand. Children's grief may look different. Their questions may seem odd sometimes, but they should be answered simply and honestly. Children must go through their own process of grieving when they lose someone. It is a rare child who doesn't want to be part of something that their whole family is doing. If they don't, if they don't just gently ask the child what they think will happen and what they are worried about. Tell them what to expect at the ceremony. Explain any routines or rituals that will be followed. They should know that they may see people cry and that then that's okay. Tell them if there will be a trip to a cemetery where a casket will be put in the ground and covered up. Very small children may need to be taken out for a break if the ceremony is long. Ask a family friend to help them if needed. It is important for everyone being treated for cancer and caregivers to get outside support. The 1-800-227-2345 number has information about end-of-life care, hospice care, advanced directives, and about talking with children. You can call any time or day with these questions. And people have the right to determine, remember, um, people have the right to determine what type of treatment they want and when they want to stop treatment. Encourage family and friends to take time to talk to a person who is ill to receive any life lessons or stories they want to pass on. And encourage family members to talk to someone if they're experiencing ongoing sadness and anger. Okay. Um, if there's any questions, um, I'd like to thank you. For, uh, I'm going to turn it back to Josh, um, who will uh, take us through some um, the next steps. Back to you, Josh. Thank you, Alberta. So we do have some concluding polling questions. And so the first polling question is live right now. Uh, cancer that is not curable may be called terminal cancer. And I'll leave it open for another few more seconds.
and 88% of respondents uh, selected true. The second question is up now. I'll leave it open for another four more seconds. Okay, and 98% of respondents uh, selected false. The third polling question is now available. And I'll leave this open for another five more seconds. Seventy-six percent of people uh, selected false. Here's question four of five. It's currently available. And I'll leave it open for another five more seconds. Eighty-two percent of respondents selected false. And then here's the fifth polling question. I will leave it open for another five more seconds. Fifty-nine percent of respondents selected true. Okay, so here's the answers. Um, so cancer that is not curable may be called advanced cancer, uh, and the correct answer is true. Most healthcare providers use the term advanced cancer to refer to those that, who can't be cured. Sometimes people are confused because certain types of cancer, certain types of widespread cancer may be curable. Healthcare providers consider how much cancer is present, how far it has spread, and whether it can be cured when diagnosing advanced cancer. Um, the second polling question, those being treated for cancer do not have the right to make decisions about the care they receive, uh, and that is false. The patient has the right to make decisions regarding treatment, respect and honor their choices. Uh, the third question, hospice care begins one year prior to the end of life. Uh, the correct answer is false. Hospice care can begin no more than six months prior to the expected end of life. The patient, healthcare team and family will determine the right time for hospice care. Uh, the fourth question, there is only one type of advanced directive. Uh, the appropriate answer is false. There are many different types of advanced directives. A patient's wishes can be carried out through an advanced directive. And then the final polling question that we asked is, if EMS workers are required to try and revive someone even if they have passed away? And that answer is typically true. Uh, it's important to have a plan for the end of life so that the decisions are not made out of panic or confusion. Emergency medical service workers are required to try and revive a person even if they've walked on. So 
Um, that brings us to the conclusion of our presentation. If you have any questions, feel free to enter them in the questions box. Um, thank you, Alberta, for sharing this presentation today. I know that it's um, a really difficult presentation, so I'm thankful for um, the words that you shared today. If you have any questions, feel free to enter them in the, the box. Um, I sent a chat, but I will uh, verbalize it. We have two handouts available for download in the GoToWebinar tab. Um, we had the planning uh, document that was on the screen earlier. Um, that is in a Word document for you to download if you're interested in doing this on your own. Um, and also there's additional information, um, several pages worth uh, that accompany this uh, presentation so that there's more information for you to read. Um, so there's uh, a comment and a question that came in. Uh, the comment says that it's very good information. No, thank you. Um, so thank you for dialing in today. Glad that you could join us. Um, and then the question asks, how long should a person grieve? Um, so I, uh, this is Josh, um, and I'm not necessarily a professional that is experienced in, um, you know, grieving, but there's no real set timetable for grief. Um, it's different for everybody. Um, and that was kind of covered in the presentation today, but it's, uh, grieving is really a journey that everyone is going to make on their own time. Um, and I think, especially when we talk about losing close loved ones, um, often you will grieve in different ways for um, a long while. So sometimes it's, you know, hearing a song that you listened to with them or um, eating a specific meal that they really enjoyed. Um, so it just really depends. Um, but I would caution and I, and I would you know, throw out there for anybody who's listening and anybody who's interested that um, seek out resources. There are plenty of people who are available to talk with um, both in our personal lives and uh, there are also people who are therapists, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists who we would be able to talk to about our grief. Um, and so I would encourage you, highly encourage you to seek professional help wherever you uh, think it may be necessary. Um, and it's and I always say, as someone who previously worked in uh, in and around the mental health field, that it's always great to interact with a therapist because it's someone who's outside of your life who's able to listen to your story and be able to help you process. So um, I hope that's helpful. And I wasn't sure if you had anything that you wanted to add, Alberta. No, I think you pretty much covered it. Um, the, the, um, like you said, the grieving process uh, it varies from person to person, and so um, it's uh, it. But if it interrupts with their lives, and if um, if they're going into depression, that's when they need to go seek um, uh, help from the healthcare provider, or social worker, and tell them that um you know the, the the that they're going through the depressions and so they'll be able to be um treated uh well thank you alberta we did get another question that asks how can you tell when someone who's been grieving for too long of a time compared to someone who is wallowing in their grief um and so you know really just piggybacking off of what alberta said i think that when we look for things like if their life is being impaired if they're unable to go to work or um, go to school, 
um, either intermittently or for a prolonged period of time. So if there's just a couple days here and there, um, that's something to look at. But if someone is um, consistently not going to work or not going to school or unable to make um, social commitments, um, you know, I think it would be worthwhile to have a conversation with them and see what what services that they would be interested in uh, taking up because, um, you know, like we said, it's different for everybody. So it's, it's really difficult to compare um, people. And I'm not sure if you had anything else that you wanted to add, Alberta, but. Um, no, I don't. I think you pretty much have it covered. Um, I received a comment that it, uh, someone was not able to download the materials. So within the next few hours, uh, you will receive a follow-up email from your attendance to the presentation today that will link you to the page and you'll be able to download this information there as well. Um, I do want to remind everybody, uh, you will receive a certificate within the next two days. Um, I will process that and email everybody. Um, if you have not received a certificate previously, I did e receive one email from one person, uh, so I'm going to send that out later today. Um, but if you haven't received a certificate for a presentation in the other modules that you've attended, but you didn't get your certificate, please email nnn at itcmi.org um, and let me know which module you attended um, and what certificate you need. Um, so the certificates that you'll be receiving, I just want to reiterate, will not have continuing education units or continuing med medical education units. Um, so no CEUs or CMEs. This is just a certificate of your attendance and participation. So thank you, everybody. Uh, I don't see any additional information coming in or any other questions. So thank you all. Um, oh, there's one question that came up that is asking if you can watch previous webinars. So in the follow-up email that you'll receive today, it will have a link to the landing page for all seven modules. And so this module will be archived within the next few hours. And so once you receive that follow-up email, you can view modules one, two, three, four, or five. Uh, we'll have the recorded presentation and the uh, associated handouts available on each landing page. Um, and then you will also be able to register for the upcoming two uh, remaining modules for this. Um, there's another, so as I was wrapping up, we got a couple more questions. So there's a question asking if there's anything unique to grieving for Native peoples to be culturally sensitive to. Um, I would say that's generally a very large question. Uh, Indian country is very large and expansive. And some things that some tribal communities do for grief is not what other communities do. So I think it really just depends on where you are and who you're with. Um, and, you know, I would just, um, be sure to ask the people that you're around. I think that uh, Native people are like any other group of people in that um, death is a part of life, but death is also um, incredibly difficult to deal with. Um, so I, I don't really have much else. Um, so I'm not sure if you had anything you wanted to add, Alberta. And if you don't, that's okay too. Um, no, I don't. It just um, it varies from tribe to tribe, so it's best to go um, talk to somebody from that tribe and to you know to find out more information and and so um, that um, you'll have that information at hand. So, like um, for example, I'm from the member 
I'm a member of the Navajo tribe, and I was told that um, once a person passes on, um, you don't mention their name again. The reason for that is for that person to go on to the next, um, I guess, their, their journey, and you don't want to be using their name or calling them back, and and so um, it's best not to use their name. So that's what I was um, told when I was um, growing up. And so, yeah, uh, the best thing is just to go um, talk to the to the tribe, to the tribal member, and to find out the information. And I think um, it's 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 worth noting too that uh, I know in some communities uh, it's taboo or inappropriate to share pictures of someone who's passed away. Um, sometimes indefinitely, sometimes it's just for a year. Um, there's other. It really just depends on the community that you're in. So I'm. I know that we're not able to necessarily give a really tight and close answer, but um, you know what Alberta and I both are saying is if you have a question about a community that you're near um, in an appropriate and very respectful way, ask if um, there's anything that you could do to help um, and any assistance that may be needed. Um, and then maybe during or throughout or afterwards, you know, you could ask questions afterward. Um, but it's just worth noting that sometimes people don't necessarily want to talk about um, these things because I know that um, there are some teachings that I've heard people um, give that you know we don't talk about you know death or death ceremonies because uh, it's inviting it in. So it just really depends. Um, so just ask questions wherever you're able to, and you may not always get an answer, and that's just part of being you know a living human being too. I don't see any other additional questions, so I'd like to thank everybody for joining us today. Thank you, Alberta, for the great presentation today. Um, this will be uploaded here in the next few hours, and you'll receive a certificate within the next two days for your attendance today. Thank you so much, and have a great day, everybody. To view the full webinar video and additional resources, please visit our website keepitsacred.org and click the resources tab and the webinar archive tab. Thank you for listening to this webinar archive presentation from the National Native Network.